amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. It's time to share your story. Welcome to Revealing Conversations with Patron Nicole. Heart-led discussions that reveal, release, and unveil. You will leave this hour lighter, brighter, and inspired. And now, here's Patron Nicole. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to my show. This is Patron Nicole, your host. I have the great pleasure to interview a remarkable person today who is also a co-author in the book Life Sparks. So we did this book together that was um, authored also by Tammy Blodgett and Denise Baines, and there are 21 authors, and Susan created an incredible following. Her chapter in the book is called Crossing Bridges, Transforming Emotions Through the Arts. We will be talking about a subject today that is very dear to my heart, since art was definitely what saved me as a child. I can still today smell the scent of oil paints and turpentine in my grandfather's studio and how much I loved watching him paint and how much he influenced my interest in art and science. I used to go down to his studio and watch him for hours and hours, and he would put the brushes in my hand, and that is how I got into the art. And then when I moved to London at age 17, I literally kept my sanity living in galleries, and I was uh, taking lots of art classes. So this is this is a very, very dear subject to me, and I am. Um, uh, it gives me such a great pleasure to introduce Susan Greif today to the show. Uh, Susan is the owner and facilitator of Art Men's Heart LLC, and is a creative transformational expert and healing arts professional who uses the expressive, creative, and healing arts to help women and children find emotional freedom from anxiety, depression, trauma, abuse, grief, loss, illness, pain, and eating disorders, social behavior, and learning disabilities, so that the client can, can let, let go of her anxieties that keep her feeling paralyzed, panicked, and in pain. Susan works privately with individuals or in groups and gives workshops for organizations and corporations to increase socialization and communication. She is a motivational speaker, a published photographer, illustrator, and now author, and is in the process of writing her own book. So, Susan, can I welcome you onto the show? Are you there? Thank you, Pat. Hello. What a, what a, hello. What a welcoming. Can you hear me? Oh, I can. Can you hear me? Hello. I can hear you. Hi, I can hear hello. you. Yes? Yes. You're loud and clear. Hi. 
Okay, good. Sorry about that. Um, yes, hi. Thank you for uh, for welcoming me to your show. What an introduction. Thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs> so uh, how, my first question to you is tell me a little bit about your journey that led you to your transformation of, of finding your purpose through the arts. Um, you know, of course, our journey begins uh, as children. Um, we don't re- always realize it until we get to that point and we realize all our, our knowledge and all of our life experiences funnels into what we do in our current lifestyle and the matter of finding those little lessons we've learned over the years um, and, and just do something with that. So um, in my book, I talk about my journey. I talk about how... Um, you know, I was raised by parents who were Holocaust survivors, and uh, they had their traumas and their issues, and uh, expressive language was a little bit more difficult for them because of the, you know, the language uh, barrier. Um, and they're very traditional, very old-fashioned. So I, I did what, you know, a, a good girl would do, and I just listened to them. You know, as children survivors, we try not to cause our parents any more pain uh, that they had suffered, that you listen to them, you do what you're told to do, and they were also pretty much controlling. Uh, and I understand that now, I think, because they've lost so much family uh, during the war. So um, we were like children who were pretty much robotic. <laughs> Decisions were made for us. Everything was told us what to do. And um, I actually uh, applied, I, was a, I actually was a biology major, and I minored in psychology in college. My plan was to be a dentist. Um, as, uh, you know, it's one of those, uh, at that time, it was a very male-oriented field, and I kind of felt that maybe it was like a passive-aggressive way of me trying to get out of the traditional roles of being, you know, a housewife. Uh, and I wanted to become, a, you know, a modern woman. Um, anyway, so I went to dental school, and I uh, quit the day after orientation, and uh, because I just got engaged, and I had, I felt I needed to make a choice. And of course, my parents were not encouraging me, so they, you know, going to dental school, they were rather me be housewife and stay home and raise children. And you know, there's a reason for everything in life because the next seven years. I lost both of my parents, and I had four children after I got married. So I don't resent the fact that I didn't go to dental school because I don't think I would have been able to manage both. All that was going on in my life at the time. It was a very trying time in my life. So I raised my children and um, dealing with their, you know, all their their issues, uh, being a young parent and loss of parents. Um, anyway, I, I kind of felt there was something more I needed to do. And the other thing is my kids have, like, a little bit of, like, you know, earlier on, like, language disabilities. So I kind of work with them, drawing with them for them to learn a different way and to um, learn, um, you know, how, through the arts how to understand. And they ended up using that and creating, you know, little comic books as their own notes. Um, the other thing is I felt like I needed to do something more. I felt I was never complete. I was like on a, on a journey, I think of several years figuring out what I want to do with my life. Uh, especially when I turned to my daughter and I said, well, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she says, well, I want to be a mommy and do nothing like you. And, uh, you know, that brought me back to that traditional, you know, mother role that made me, um, 
to watch it go down in school and resist traditional roles. And, uh, and that really bothered me, and it turned out that my local temple actually had a mission the following week to go to Macedonia during the Balkan War and help refugees. And I just took my camera in hand, which I was studying uh, photography at the time. I took my camera in hand and I just went with them and I wanted to do something important. And they were actually using a lot of the expressive arts to heal those people in the refugee camp. But I didn't notice that. I was busy taking photographs and and trying to get um the emotions that came through the lens that expressed what these people were feeling. And when I brought all my photographs back, they ended up being displayed um, in in museum, in, in shows, in a gallery in the city, in Manhattan. Um, and it was like, great. And I was like, on this high, like, wow, I'm being recognized. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, on my, um, as I find my photographs is, you know, Susan Horn Grice, leaving my maiden name as, this is who authentically I am. It's nothing to do with my husband, nothing to do with my children. This is who I am. So that was great. And I turned to my husband and I said, you know, this is what I want to do. I want to be a journalist. And he looked at me like, you know, you got four kids under the age of eight. Where are you going? And, you know, he is a realist. I'm more of an idealist. So, you know, I said, you're right. I put my camera down. But in the meantime, to that's keep a my combination. My, that's a that's a good combo. That's a good combo. <laughs> yeah, there's always a reality check, and there's always a whimsical thing. Like we have to balance each other off, and you know, and our kids, you know, uh, they win from that. You know, they learn from both of them, like balance. So it was great. Um, anyway, so I kept my mind busy. I took art classes, and I took dance classes for years, and I took photography. I took uh, all kinds of writing classes. I you know, I drama classes, and then I started going into healing arts, a lot of yoga and meditation and breathing. I started studying uh, uh, the science of medical intuition. I started studying energy healing. I started, um, and then one day I'm like, I, you know, I guess when I was turning into my 40s, I, I kind of like became depressed because my children were now leaving, you know, didn't need me as often as they used to when they were little. So I kind of felt a void. And I knew I needed to do something. So I was going through, like, bouts of depression. Like, I need, and I did a lot of writing, journaling, to help mm-hmm. me understand what it is I needed. And it was interesting because I journaled my dreams, and my dream was very, very telling. There's always patterns in dreams. I think people need to, to learn that there are patterns in their dreams. I had this recurring dream at the time of me going to the airport, and either I left my, you know, suitcases at home or I left my passport at home. I just never made it on the plane. Then I, after I realized there was a pattern, I came to realize that my, you know, suitcases was all the, the baggage that I, that I had to let go of in order to move forward. And the passport was my identity. And when I realized that I needed to find an identity for me, not just as mommy and as wife, I needed to figure out what I wanted to do. And uh, and my husband, uh, one day he said to me, you know, look, I know what makes you happy. You know, you should, you know, you should work. We, we, we're part of this. We help this organization, children with, um, um, you know, uh, dysfunctional homes. So uh, he said, if you work with that and their children and just did art with them, you'd be, like, so happy. And and that was, I was a light bulb. I said, you're right. <laughs> um, I did research um uh, my girlfriend said you should go to the new school. They have a creative arts therapy you know, certification program. And I looked at, into that, and I also looked into um, 
you know, a graduate school to get our therapy, licensed in our therapy, and then I realized how many more years I would need. So I said, okay. I said, I'm just doing the certification. It's a two-and-a-half-year program, and I did it. And I think I sat there in class, like, everything mm-hmm. that I learned, like, just funneled in, like, oh, my God, I get this. This makes me, this under, this makes me understand everything. So I study, you know, the art, and I studied uh, dance and movement at, on, on this program. Mm-hmm. And then I developed my own, um, my own program, my own multi, you know, disciplinary approach where I use, you know, all of the arts and, um, and all the healing arts and expressive and, yeah, and the creative arts to help, help my clients find what it is that they're, that they're missing in their life so that they can transform and deal with the anxieties. Mm-hmm. So, how, so how, how, do you use, uh, how do you use the arts today? Uh, to help uh, other people, like like what is uh, what is your your process? I know you work in so, groups and you work individually, and I'm I'm just really curious. I mean, I just think the art art is so powerful in in helping people uh, come yeah. out of um, you know, trauma. Right. Well, I wish yeah. it would be used more with with uh, with vets, you know, with veterans. Yeah, I wish there was. Yeah, there were more yeah, they're, they're a great. Yeah, they're a great group. There's a yeah. Um, I think there are. Um, I know it is used um, by the by the Israeli Defense Force Israel. I think they are trying to create more of these things, veterans, these art programs and movement programs and so forth for veterans. So um, we just keep our fingers crossed and just put it out there. Um, you know, it's out there. It just has to. Be, it's not widespread, but it's out there. But um, how mm-hmm. to, well, you know, art makes our thoughts and emotions more perceptible, you know. But our ideas and thoughts are mm-hmm. just abstract until you put it down on paper. Then it becomes more concrete. And when it's more perceptible, more tangible, more concrete, you actually see the subconscious coming up, um, you mm-hmm. know. And then once you know what the problem is, you can actually move forward and make the change in your life. So, like, for mm-hmm. instance, I have this woman... Um, you know, when I first started working with her, she felt like, you know, she felt so invisible to her friends and, and so forth. You know, she, her husband died 20 years ago. Her parents died 10 years ago. She lost her friendship. She lost, you know, and she has a poor relationship with her children. And so I asked her to draw um, this assessment called Family Kinetic Drawing. And so I asked her to draw a picture of her and her family when she was five years old because that's usually when our first memories come through to us and so she drew mm-hmm. a picture of her parents and then she sat there and like she's like, you know what I can't draw myself I don't see myself I don't see myself so here she mm-hmm. was even invisible to herself so mm-hmm. that became something that she needed to shift and make a change and not become invisible but make herself important and relevant for her first and, mm-hmm. But it's not just, um, it's not only what comes up for my clients. It's also I've learned to diagnose and analyze art. So, you know, what colors they chose, what medium they choose, what the placement of the, uh, of the, of the symbols, the, um, you know, how large, how small, how hard. You know, they're all, all these little symbols are all um, Carl Jung talked about universal symbols and how, um, you know, mm-hmm. like you think about those emojis, everybody knows it's a universal symbol. Everybody, you don't have to have the same language to, to understand the symbols or emojis. You know what it means. So same thing with the Yeah, so tell me a little bit more about this. Uh, tell me a little bit more about this lady that you worked with, the woman that you worked with that couldn't yes. see herself in the... 
So well, how, right. did you, well, how did you remedy that? Like, what did you do next when once you realized that, oh, my gosh, you know, she, she can't really, she cannot see herself as, as a right. five-year-old with her parents. So what, what would be the process? I'm sure that our listeners would be very excited to hear that. Well, I think one of the processes first is empowerment. You know, for, well, first thing is, uh, first step, of course, is willingness to make the change, okay? <laughs> the awareness mm-hmm. comes now with the drawing, so you see the issues. And now we now it's about taking making it a change. So I think one of the first things I like to do is have my have my clients do a, a to want to do and a need to do list because I want them to empower themselves. So they have a do want to do list and a need to do list and find mm-hmm. balance. So for a person, most women are more giving and caring and nurturing, and they tend to neglect themselves and they don't ask for help for themselves. So, you know, you know, we talk about like, oh, behind every great man there's a woman. The woman's always in the background. The woman never seems to shine. Mm-hmm. So it is important for her to feel like she can shine, that she can accomplish, she can do. Because once she's able to do it, and this is what we talk about crossing bridges, by the way, you know, if you want to do a need-to-do list, is not just um, going, you know, writing down what it is you want to do. It's also understanding the little small steps that take you to the other side uh, of that, let's just say, bridge, um, which I talk about like in crossing bridges. And and um, and to also become aware of the negative talk that prevents you from getting over to your, on the other side of your bridge. The only way mm-hmm. you can, you know, it, it's like, you know, we all tell ourselves some things that, and we find ourselves in a constant loop. You know, if you want the job, you're going to go, you know, you say, okay, I want this job. But no, they're not going to hire me because I'm not good enough. Like, oh, this guy is good looking. Want to ask him out? No, he probably thinks I'm fat and ugly. So we have this negative talk. Yeah, like I'm not good thing. enough. I'm not good enough. I can't do it. Yeah. I can't do it. There's always that negative uh, response from the yeah. mind, and we have to create new neural nets by changing the language, the inner language. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Mm-hmm. So this is also, we, we talk about all the different types of, you know, the, the, the 10 different types of, um, you know, negative um, you know, self-talk. So we talk about what one, what, you know, and then to create that self-talk and then um, turn into a positive. So, you know, I'm not good enough. You have to start, you know, saying, you know, it's like I am good enough and, and give a reason why. So, uh, like in my book, I talk about crossing your bridge and the trolls um, that are underneath the bridge that prevent us from going forward. Um, mm-hmm. um, also, um, you know, there in, there's an old story called Billy Goat Gruff. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Mm-hmm. Um, it I am. I am book. actually familiar with it, and I love okay. reading that story. And- in the book, yeah, so I shared it in the about. Yeah. So the three Billy Goats are trying to cross the bridge to get to the other side where the grass is greener. And they're, uh, as they start, as the first one starts to cross, there's a troll underneath the bridge. And there's, um, you know, and there is, um, you know, he jumps up and he wants to eat the Billy Goat. And the Billy Goat, like, it's like he's not letting him go. He says, oh, you know, don't eat me. My big brother's behind me. He's bigger than me. You'll get more out of him. So he. So then he crosses the bridge. The second video comes, and he says, "Oh, don't eat me! You know, take my bigger brother. He's even bigger than me." And then mm-hmm. the biggest video comes to the bridge, and the troll comes up, and 
he butts him with his with his horns and throws the troll off the bridge, and then he crosses the bridge too. So you know, we we allow these trolls to come up into our life, and every time we want to do something, you know, we allow them to come up. But we need to be these Billy Goats to say to give them an excuse of like why you know you're not going to intimidate us, and we're going to go forward. So, um, so the transformation starts with that. So when we, when I give them a want to do and a need to do list, the want to do, I mean, the need to do is about being responsible and doing what you have to do. But you also need to balance it with something you want to. And I have them listed from like cleaning out a drawer to climbing, you know, Mount Kilimanjaro. And it doesn't matter how crazy it is. And so this client, her dream, she has, she had actually on her refrigerator, um, you know, a, a, a magazine, uh, a newspaper clipping of this place she always wanted to go. In 10 years, she's been sitting on her refrigerator. So that was on her bucket list, and she actually accomplished it this last July. Um, she's so empowered, I have to tell you. The first day she came to me, she was crying because she was afraid mm-hmm. to go back home because her daughter was going to like get upset with her. And I have to tell you, this woman doesn't take it. She doesn't let her, you know doesn't let her daughter, you know, intimidate her anymore. And she took power and ownership. Mm-hmm. And what happens is when we shift, people around us shift too. Mm-hmm. So because we learn how to have relationships with other people and with ourselves. Most important is to learn how to have a relationship with yourself, learn how to love yourself, how to respect yourself. Because if you don't love mm-hmm. yourself and you don't respect yourself, you're going to attract people who don't love and respect you too. And so that's mm-hmm. the other thing we want to we want them to change um, how they feel about themselves, empower themselves, and everything else just with them. Now it goes it goes back to the saying: "It always takes two to tango in certain yes. situations." <laughs> and yes. uh, I, I do explain this to my own students when I teach emotional processing classes, and I, I talk about how we create our own reality. And you know, when you shift what you believe as truth, if it's not working for you, and you're shifting it then the world you meet suddenly outside is no longer the world that you had before because you have shifted and your aura has changed. And whatever you're projecting out to the universe plays back through the universe. And those are then the events you you meet out there in the greater universe. So so I just love, love, love what you do. I love what you do. Thank Mm -hmm. you. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, so it's interesting, like, I, you know, like, we've been doing drawings all along, like, where she is in her process, and, you know, I think for the first time, she just has this, like, amazing drawing. She was in it, and she was center, and she was happy, so, you know, I, I'm, you know, these little, these wonderful, um, you know, stories just, just makes me smile, because if I can help one person, that in itself is amazing, so I'm very, I'm very blessed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, um, would you, um, you know, I, I'm I'm from Munich, Germany, and I'm I'm just now in the next two days, my book will be on Amazon, and it's called Peter's Ashes, and I wrote an entire chapter on Nazi Germany because it was so uh, difficult for me as a German person, young girl, when I arrived in uh, London at age 17, and I realized how much actually happened that I didn't hear about while I was living in Germany growing up. And I I cannot, I mean, it's to me so fascinating that you had parents that were survivors of the Holocaust and what they must have gone through and how 
you know, how much of that did you actually hear about? I mean, were they able to do any processing whatsoever? I mean, can can you share a little bit about that? Yes, sure. So actually my parents, my mother was actually born in the Warsaw Ghetto, and my father was about Mm -hmm. 10 years old when the war came out, and they did not go to the camp. They did um, run away and hide in Russia. So that's why they survived, but they were in the forest trying to live their life. And, I mean, it's too long stories. But So they were also one of the younger of, uh, of, these, of the survivors. So, um, so when they had, you know, for my mother especially, she probably didn't remember what it was when she was a little girl because she was just born during the war. And I guess it was over when she was five. So her stories are hearsay. And um, my, my parents had no problem sharing the stories with us. Um, but I think as a child, I didn't care to hear them. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. But I do, but I, you know, but, you know, and now they're no longer with me. And, and now I'm, I'm quite saddened that I hadn't had it, you know, you know, recorded. I know Steven Spielberg did an amazing, amazing documentary with all the Holocaust survivors. And I actually work with a lot of children, Holocaust survivors, um, because of their mm-hmm. trauma. So when we talk about the vets, yes, you know, it, 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 there's a trauma. And the, the children of Holocaust survivors suffer as well. Um, they suffer from intergenerational post-traumatic stress disorder. And, uh, and there's proven that, you know, there's, uh, you know, at the genetics, it's proven that, you know, your, your your DNA can can change a bit with with your environment, and that can go into your gene pool, your genetics. And uh, so, a lot of these children uh, of Holocaust survivors are hypersensitive become they're to stress and anxiety because this is what their parents had to live with during the war. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of mm-hmm. Holocaust survivors who were born soon after the war had it most difficult because. The parents hadn't processed the information by the time I was born. Like, you know, it was more processed. It was more talked about. But in the earlier years, it wasn't talked about. I think a lot of um, Holocaust survivors married right into the, when they're in the DP camp just to start family again, just to find love and family, just to move forward in their mm-hmm. life. They, they didn't take it as, um, as victims. You know, they took it like, okay, mm-hmm. we're going to rebuild. We're going to restart. We're not going to let anybody, you know, we're not, and, and we're not going to let, let this, you know, continue. So a lot of the children of Holocaust mm-hmm. survivors who are older do suffer a lot more trauma, a lot more anxiety. Um, the stories they tell me, like, I, I think, wow, I've never heard of this story. I cannot believe it. And it, it's true. And But so, I, you know, so for me to work with these people who I can totally relate to and understand and help them, um, I actually have an online mm-hmm. teleconference I hold, you know, uh, every two weeks with a group um, of of children survivors. So, uh, yeah, um, you're close to my heart, and we can all relate to each other, you know. What we thought was not normal growing up is normal to each other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. I mean, there is a film out on Netflix, uh, called Titler's Children, and you know many of these kids, including myself. I mean, suddenly I was born way after the war, but my mom and my my father they were also five years old. You know, little little kids, but there were children that lived uh, next door to Dachau or Auschwitz and didn't know this was going on. I mean, the things were hidden yes. to the Germans. Yes, a lot of course. I mean, there's a lot know of propaganda. What was happening? Yeah, it's there's amazing. I mean, and they were the 
Exactly, and they were the masters of the media. I mean, it already it was a, really the Nazis that started this entire, you know, media uh, lie of, of, of just yeah. making people believe something, and people believed it. They absolutely believed yeah, it. Yeah, because, yeah, everything yeah. was staged, and you show videos and movies of, of, like, the camps and how much fun the children are having, you know, at the camp. Like, oh, the kids mm-hmm. are playing in their pretty old mm-hmm. clothing. Um, they were, I was mm-hmm. in New York City at the, um, I think it was the MoMA. Uh, I think it was the MoMA in Manhattan about two years ago. And there was one section in the, in the museum. They talked about propaganda artists. And they have, you know, Stalin mm-hmm. was a propaganda you know, Lenin, Mao Zedong, Hitler. They have all these photographs that were superimposed to make, thing, make them look like they were brilliant and, and life was beautiful. Mm-hmm. So um, did you yeah, so, did you see the movie uh, the boy with the striped pajamas? Yes, that's what I was thinking about because it was a great movie. Mm-hmm. I love that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that little mm-hmm. girl, right? She would bring something. She would hide him. I remember. I forget what it was. It was years ago. I think I think it was um, two little boys. One was inside the concentration camp, and the other mm-hmm. one was outside. Uh, okay, so with it was a boy. I think it was a General yeah. father. Mm-hmm. His father was a general. Yeah. And yes. he went to the gate and to the fence and would hand right. the little boy inside the camp food. Right, right. I thought it was a girl, but you questions. Yeah. Yeah. He would ask him questions, what he was doing in there. So mm-hmm. it's very, yeah, very interesting was... uh, book. And also the movie was, was, was quite yeah. good. It's available on uh, Netflix, actually. So if anyone's yeah. interested, if the listener is interested in, in finding that, just go to uh, Netflix and uh, search for The Boy with the Striped Pajamas. But be, uh, have have a box of tissues handy because it will make you yeah. cry, this movie. So it's yeah. quite sad. Uh, it so, uh, Susan, tell me what, what um, uh, a little bit about your chapter in the Life Sparks book. And it's such an honor to be a part of that together with you. So I, I'm just very excited that you're part of this. So, Thank you. Thank you. It is an honor. And I've gotten to speak to, like, amazing people. And I read some people. I didn't get a chance to read the whole book because what I love about the book is, like, you know, each chapter is just a few pages. I can put it down, read it, put it down. And, uh, you know, and I, I love, I love to learn about everybody and how amazing every person in this book is and how inspiring each individual is. And, and I hope other people will pick it up and, uh, and read about it and share and, and also, you know, maybe review, make a review in, uh, you know, on Amazon. It's a great book. Uh, basically, what my story is about is what I share is my journey, my transformation about, you know, about blessing bridges and, and all the, um, little, you know, feats that we have in life that we think is, is an obstacle, but we have to figure out how to get to the other side. Um, you know, one of the things we talk about when it comes to obstacles, you know, we can look at it as a dead end or we can look at it as an opportunity to grow. Um, with growth comes, you know, you have to, you know, got to be creative. How do you deal with the obstacles? Um, you know, how do you go around it? How do you figure it out? But an interesting with obstacles are placed in our, in our presence. It's there to a to to make us reflect and think about what's going on in our life, um, and also help us become more creative in how to deal with it. And when we become more creative, it helps actually with neural you know connections in our brain. It's it's a you know everything mm-hmm. you know every time you learn something new, every time you become creative, it's much it's great for our brain, and it also you know lowers or or uh, or delays the risk of Alzheimer's. 
So don't look at mm-hmm. obstacles. Isn't, the that, isn't that the frontal lobe that uh, that the creative centers in the part, the front of the brain? The frontal sorry? lobe. Yes. Yes, isn't isn't lobe, that right. creative center in the frontal lobe? I'm just kind of verifying that with you right now. Well, the frontal the frontal lobe is more about decision making. What's right? What's wrong? Uh, you know, is this right? Mm-hmm. It's actually the very last part of the brain that being about that's developed. Um, so, like, mm-hmm. so when you're about 25 years old or so, that's when it's most developed. So when we wonder why our children, you know, teenage kids can't decide what the right and the wrong thing to do, is that because that decision making part of the brain is not uh, fully developed. So, uh, <laughs> so we actually, we deal with the, you know, we, we deal with like the amygdala, which is more of the emotional creative side of the brain and sense side. So, you know, amygdala kind of triggers us like, you know, um, it, it has all our, our memory senses in there. So, you know, it's like, so we know that, you know, if you touch it, if you have touched fire once, you know, never to touch fire again. So those are our mm-hmm. trigger memories. So like if we have suffered, we may have suffered some kind of trauma in our very young age, even prior to being five, that we have no rec- any recollection about, but our our memory sense has all these um, memories in it. It's kind of like a little file cabinet. You've got to figure out and go through it. It's like, oh, this is why I have my anxiety about fear of balloons or fear of, you know, High, you know, uh, mm-hmm. high, you know, um, high stories or whatever it is. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, and that's all we know. The creative side is uh, okay. We also have the left brain, right brain, um, where um, you know the left brain is more organized, more analytical, more logical, more concrete, and the right side is more um, abstract, more creative, more emotional. You know, it's like you know they they talk. They say like imagine. Somebody says, I don't know if I love this comparison, but somebody says, imagine, like, your, the left side of your brain are like little meatballs while the right side is spaghetti or everything interconnects and intertwines. Uh, you know, the left side is like little compartments. You know, you can only do one thing at a time. Everything's structured, organized, and the right side. So more emotional, more creative people are uh, mm-hmm. right brain. Um Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because a lot of the children who are dyslexic, it affects the left side of the brain because that's what the language is. And when that language is, is uh, disrupted, children have to learn through the creative way of thinking so they can uh, engage both hemispheres. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, at some point I, I decided to, uh, I my son is 25 now, so he's back now. He's, he's you know, always said, um, uh, when they're 16, you know, somebody abducts them and then they brought back when they're 25 and suddenly they can reason. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. So my son, my son is, my son John is, 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 is completely back now with his reasoning. So, which is really exciting for me. And oh, yeah. uh, we have, um, we have, we have a, a, a great relationship uh, and, and we, we joke uh, around uh, this subject of um, how when you're younger and you're not completely balanced quite yet. And I think for boys, it takes a little longer than for girls for some reason. I think that, that girls mature a little earlier. Isn't, isn't that mm-hmm. your experience as well? It's, yes. It's my, yes. I think just boys are just more mechanical. You know, they're running and going and doing, mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, and most 
material, I'm saying in most, I, and I hate, I, I don't want anybody to think I'm discriminating boys and girls, but there's <laughs> a true fact of life <laughs> that are, there are, you know, most girls would rather sit down and play with their dolls and boys would rather jump and flying on the monkey bars. Uh, doesn't mean that it doesn't happen on either side, but that's, I think, in general, um, you know, yeah, there is a difference in in the way children play. But it could also, you know, mm-hmm. not only has to do with, like, you know, nurturing at home, teaching a child, okay, this is what you play with dolls, and boys just, you know, but I think this day and age, too, I think parents are more willing to let their girls climb the monkey bars than the boys play with dolls, too, so, mm-hmm. but, yeah. But, like I said, also earlier I, on, So, I, I decided to put my son in a, in a Waldorf school when he was uh, nine years old. Uh, we had moved, and there was a, a Waldorf school. Uh, Rudolf Steiner created Waldorf schools. They are work with different uh, systems. It, it actually came out, I don't know if you're aware of this, and you probably know all this, that uh, Rudolf Steiner was one of the first people that fled uh, Nazi Germany and moved to London. And many of, he had what is called the Waldorf Cigarette Factory. And the uh, parents of the factory came to him to create a school that was uh, non-denominational. And those were all victims of the war. And so he created this incredible system, and that is why it's called Waldorf. And so they use uh, round shapes. They use movement to teach mathematics. They use a lot Mm. of music. There's there's a lot of uh, touch and feel, um, feeling through color and learning, uh, learning through music like you're doing, learning through art, learning through, through sculpture. And so yeah. forth. So learning dimensional things through sculpture rather than by just teaching by through words, because a lot of people Correct. just don't learn words. They have to actually create the movement with their hands and their their legs Correct. to really integrate that into the whole person. So integrating body, mind, spirit is the goal of that school, and it was it was very effective for my son to be part of that. And I'm really yeah. glad uh, we took that route. So, yeah. so I don't know, probably I, in New York where you are, there are lots of schools like this, I'd imagine. Yes, there, there are more schools popping up. Um, I actually did my internship at the Hudson Guild, and they were doing integrating, um, you know, where they learn what, one thing, and it goes through, like, through the art class, through the dance class, through the science class, the math class, whatever it is, let's say, for water, you know. So they can learn about, you know, science and water. They're learning, you know, in story about, let's say, Christopher Columbus. or And then in art, you have to know what is in the water, you know, fishes in the sea. So they integrate it in that sense. But, yes, I, I, I'm certified in the, in the Orton-Gillingham approach to learning for children with disabilities as well as taking a multi-sensory approach to learning. So, yeah, I totally integrate all kinds of movements because they say the best way to learn is not just from reading, but to use more senses you use, the greater you can remember it. So, um, mm-hmm. you, you know, reading is great. Reading and, and, and writing and saying it is great. Watching a movie is adds to it. But once you start embodying the character, once you start, you know, embracing it and becoming, and then you're able to teach, mm-hmm. that is the highest form of learning and remembering. So, uh, yeah, I, I actually had uh, one English. I was not an Eng- I was not an English and uh, and social studies child. I was more of a math and science. But it was interesting. I had one English teacher who she came in. She was teaching in eleventh grade, and. She 
to me, she was very strange. She was this, like, old woman with jet black hair, and she has these long, long, fake eyelashes and blue eyeshadow, and she walked in like a drama scene. We used to laugh at her at the time because we were kids, and it wasn't very nice, but we did. But she taught us how to read stories in such an interesting new way. She actually had, every, you know, groups of kids get together, and each group would act out a chapter. So not only are you reading the books, not only are you um, watching your friends perform, but you're also embedded, you know, embodying the characters of the book. So now you're truly, fully engaged in the story. And mm-hmm. that was, to me, like, now, you know, that's the only way I was able to learn because I guess I had the same issues not knowing it as a kid. And uh, so, I, I so, yeah. I so relate, can relate to that. I wasn't much of a reader until I went to a private uh, high school in Munich, and my German teacher had us enact the stories of Faust, Goethe's Faust, you know, and Goethe was the one, Wolfgang Goethe was the one uh, talking about, um, if you learn a second language, you know, you're opening the speech center in your brain, which will then create, uh, you know, make you into a more creative person anyway. But so adding other languages is very important. And the saddest thing for me right now is that out of the school systems in, in, in the United States, we're having, uh, we're seeing the, the, the repercussions of that by taking music out of the schools. It's, yeah. You know, in many schools that no longer have the budget and that is that is almost to me. I mean, how could how could someone allow this uh, when music teaches us so much of mathematics? I mean, music is mathematical. So of children course. that are not able to catch on to mathematics, why are they not integrating? So I saw a program recently about a woman who's bringing music back into the schools, into the into very poor neighborhoods of New York. And, you know, I think in the next 50 years we're going to see a massive transformation on how children are taught in the schools. At least yeah. I hope that we, as a human race, can evolve enough to pay attention to what really our children need because they're the ones that are going to be running the country. So. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There, yeah, there, there are charter schools popping up everywhere uh, in New York City area and in I, I'm in Bergen County, New Jersey, right over the George Washington Bridge from Manhattan. So everywhere that's popping up are all these wonderful, wonderful charter schools that are using all of mm-hmm. the stuff that you talk about, all hands-on, tactile, um, yeah, engaging the kids, not just sitting in the classroom with their hands folded like we grew up with, but they're, they're very engaged. And, and it's a great, great thing. And I, I really do hope it does spread. Um, I don't know. Have you ever seen the, um, the, the TED Talk called um, Changing um, Curricula? I think it's called Curriculum Paradigm, Education Paradigm uh, by Ken Robinson. No, I have not. Tell us about Changing- that. I think I, I think it's called Changing uh, Education Paradigm or something like that uh, by Ken Robinson. And he talks about how the originally how our school system changed with the Industrial Revolution where, you know, you kind of like boxed the five-year-old in a box and you put them on a conveyor belt, you know, and then you get the six-year-old and they're going, you know, they're going to first grade, the students going to second grade. Like, so that everybody, just because they had the same age, they were put in the same box and they went up the conveyor belt and this is what you learn, this is what you do, and you, and you graduate and then you get a job. So it was just very robotic. Um, and he's mm-hmm. saying, like, you know what, we, we 
took the, the creative aspect out of our children away from us because when you're in school, mm-hmm. they indoctrinate you with information and, uh, and they don't allow you to express your needs or they don't allow you to express, you know, your, your, create, your creative side. Um, mm-hmm. And even creative side, your creative thinking um, growing up back then, I can say, no, you're wrong. It's mm-hmm. the way it is and that's it. So um, mm-hmm. teachers are more open now to, to having discussion classes um, and integrating uh, tools, like, you know, so reading a book, draw, draw a picture of the story, uh, you know, come up with ideas. So I see a lot more of that. But, yeah, so that's a great, mm-hmm. uh, it's a great um, TED Talk. Have a peek at it if you get a chance. Oh, yes, definitely. I'll check that out. So, Susan, what are your future plans and, and your intentions? What, where are you? Well, uh, my my earliest future plan is to be a grandma in about in a few weeks. So that's going to be exciting. Oh, my my eldest, thank you, my eldest is second. So that's exciting. Um, I am working on my own book. Uh, it's taking me a while, but I'm getting there. Uh, and I'm I'm constantly doing workshops. Uh, I have um, you know I'm going to be putting it out there. I create a new workshop called um, uh, Understanding Your Chakras Through Art Chi. Uh, It helps the layman understand what chakras are. And also I use the the art in order for them to see what it is that's blocking each chakra. So I do a chakra a week, and um, and I'm I'm in the process of creating the whole series. And so, and I give them strategies and tools how to open their chakras. Um, I'm going to be doing another um, teleconference group for children Holocaust survivors. If anybody wants me to do a specific target group, I'm happy. I'm very open to it. Um, I'm also speaking with Tammy. Uh, I spoke with Tammy about creating um, another book for children Holocaust survivors who have lived the life they did as a child and they have transformed and they can inspire others to do the same. Um, and, yeah, I'm just, um, you know, I'm, I'm just out there. Just I'm very creative, so I do things for the moment. I say, okay, this works for me now, and that's what I'm doing. I, I let the universe also direct me. Oh, that's wonderful. That's so wonderful. So do you, I, I know that you have a, a, a website. Do you want to tell the listener what, uh, your sure. website is? Sure. My website is Art Men's Hearts. That's A R T N E N D S H E A R T S dot com. Uh, and you can also follow me on all social media under the same name. Uh, and I am for those who are listening. I'm actually offering you a for you to sign up and on my to get um, sign up for my newsletter, subscribe and. I mean, you'll get to hear some of the videos that I've had or talks I've had, and you'll be getting um, my newsletters that come out once or twice a month. And I'm also selling on my website uh, a copy of our life box. I'm going to have it signed. You can get it on Amazon, but if you want a signed version, you can get it from me. And along with that, uh, I am offering a 30-minute complimentary step one in crossing your bridge phone call and a step one crossing over your bridge visual handout, and uh, there will be priority mail. So I'd love to hear from you. Well, 
generous. I'd love it. I might have to sign up for that. <laughs> Please do. So, I'm going to your website right now. I'm going there okay. right now. So, <laughs> it kicked me off the show here for just a second, and I came right back in, and you didn't even notice. So that was really cool that I, okay, for some good. reason, uh, I was I was kicked off, and you were talking. I said you didn't even know that I was gone for a moment. <laughs> you know what? There are people that do that to me all the time. <laughs> I can just talk. such a pleasure uh, to speak with you, Susan, and, and I am uh, excited to meet you. I, I hope either we can come to the East Coast or you can come to the West Coast and meet everybody. Uh, next yes. week, um, on Friday, we have a book signing here in Portland, Oregon at um, the, um, what is it, Thirst Bistro. It's uh, on the waterfront in Portland, so for those of you that are interested uh, you can go to my website at uh, patreonnicole.com or send me a note, and I'll send you the details for the for the book signing. There will be six or seven authors at the book signing, and I have some exciting news. Uh, my book, Peter's Ashes, A Transcendental Journey, is going to be at Amazon tomorrow, and so it will be available over the weekend and like Susan just shared, if you want a uh, signed copy, an autographed copy, just go to my website. And um, my name is spelled P-E-T-R-A-N-I-C-O-L-L.com. Uh, it's exciting to be doing this show. I'm learning so much from all the people I get to interview. We have on the website, we are going to list um a blog. We have a blog on there, and we also have a button you can push that gives you all the up-and-coming shows for the future. So there are some really, really uh, interesting people, fun and exciting information to share with you about all kinds of um, things that you might be interested in. I have a friend. Her name is Laurel. She will be on the show in October, on October 11th who is a wordsmith, and what that is is she does word magic. So she talked about what Susan just shared with you, uh, how words are so powerful, and how if we repeat the same words, they have a certain vibration that can affect you. So if you change the words and your thinking about those words, then your life is also changed. And so she is going to uh, give a talk on the show. And... Um, was there anything else you wanted to add, Susan, other than it was for me it was just such a pleasure to interview you and hear your life story. So would you like to add yeah. anything else? No, I, I appreciate you uh talking with me and interviewing me. This has been uh, very exciting. Um, this whole book situation is very exciting, but you know, people get your newsletter and I'll let you know when we're having uh, book signings or when I have the next workshop or talk. Um, just uh, subscribe, go on my website and subscribe. Uh, and it was such a pleasure to yeah. you're such a you're such a pleasure to talk to. Do you uh, do workshops on the West Coast, like art workshops? Would you be open to combining uh, a workshop with me in the future? I would love to, absolutely. That would be great. I'd, I would love to incorporate art as a as a yeah. bridge for people transforming emotions through art. I think it, it's uh, very, very powerful. Very great. And I would, yeah. Yeah, it would and be, we can, it would be and really even fun. And even the East Coast. 
you know, we can even the East Coast, we can we can do something. <laughs> yes, we yeah. can promote each other. That's that's really Absolutely. fun. Absolutely. Well, so, that's uh, what this is about, Susan, ladies and gentlemen. It's like supporting each other. So yeah, that'd be great. Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you for being on the show today, Susan. I have a few more announcements. Um, next uh, Friday evening, there will be uh, at at the bistro or at the waterfront. It will be at six thirty. People are coming in at six thirty, so you are invited, the listener. Also, if you could all go to my Facebook page, and that is forward slash transformational story coach. Story coaching is very dear to my heart. We tell a story and we can become released from whatever goes on in our lives. It's very powerful. Uh, on my website, I give away an MP3 of the meditation of golden light, which has to do with uh, going inward and finding the blockages within yourself that may be yet unconscious from early childhood. We often don't know how things have influenced us, like we even touched on that subject today with Susan Greif, so that was uh, very powerful. And I give away a 60-minute free complimentary coaching for anyone who signs up on my newsletter. I would love to speak with you. And thanks again for joining Revealing Conversations with Petra. Have a marvelous day Enjoy the sun, take a walk out in nature, and take good care of yourself. Take care. Bye. Bye. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job, it's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you're ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.